0: Good evening and welcome to The Catholic View. I'm Shayla Pirsch. Thank you so much for tuning in. Coming up in today's broadcast, we bring you a health feature as we focus on the latest global AIDS update. We also talk about raising children with disabilities. And then we take a look at a new drug trend called Cisurf or purple drink in Cape Town. For now, though, please do stay tuned for a look at our brief news updates.
1: Listen to Radio Veritas, 576 AM, for
2: a change.
0: And in your headlines this Wednesday evening, Pope Francis reflects on the Pharisee and the tax collector. Bishops speak out on peace and DRC elections. And 1st June marks International Children's Day. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. We begin with church news. This Wednesday, Pope Francis arrived in St. Peter's Square a few minutes ahead of schedule. With the aid of his bodyguards, he was able to get close to many children while on the Mobile to bless them. Continuing his series of Wednesday catechesis on mercy, Pope Francis devoted his June 1st general audience to the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector.
3: True prayer is born of a heart which repents of its faults and failings, yet pleads for the grace to live the great commandment of love of God and neighbor. Pope Francis was referring to the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, in which Jesus contrasts the arrogance and self-righteousness of the Pharisee's prayer with the tax collector's humble recognition of his sinfulness and the need for the Lord's mercy. In his prayer, the Pharisee showed off his own merits and displayed a sense of superiority towards other men, the Pope said. He prayed to God, but in truth, he was really interested in himself. In è uno
4: dei meriti.
3: He acts as if he were Lord of the Temple. The Pharisee despised people commonly seen as impure, sinners such as the tax collector the Pope asserted, but God loves all men and does not despise sinners. It is not enough then, he said, to ask ourselves how much we pray. We must also ask ourselves how we pray.
4: Come preghiamo.
3: It's important, the Pope said, to examine our hearts and eradicate arrogance and hypocrisy. It is also important to rediscover the value of intimacy and silence amid the frenetic pace of daily life, because it is there that God meets us and speaks to us. The Pharisee makes his way confidently towards the temple, said the Pope, but he is unaware of having lost the way towards his heart. The tax collector, on the other hand, comes to the temple humble and repentant. His was a beautiful prayer, the Pope said, inviting the faithful to recite it with him three times. Lord, have pity on me, for I am a sinner. The parable, he stressed, shows us that being righteous or sinners is not a question of social standing, but of how we act towards God and others. Humbly recognizing his sin, the tax collector begs for God's mercy and shows all of us the necessary condition to receive God's forgiveness. It is he, the despised one, who becomes the icon of the true believer. Arrogance, the Pope concludes, compromises every good action and empties prayer of meaning. Arrogance may keep our prayers from reaching God, but the humility of the poor in heart will throw open the doors to His mercy.
0: Reminding the faithful that Friday is the feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus and this year the Jubilee of priests, Pope Francis has called for special prayers in June, the month dedicated to the Sacred Heart. The Pope's universal intention is that the aged, marginalized, and those who have no one may find, even within the huge cities of the world, opportunities for encounter and solidarity. His intention for evangelization is that seminarians and men and women entering religious life may have mentors who live the joy of the
3: gospel and prepare them wisely for their mission. Three days of prayer and reflection among clergy and seminarians began here in Rome Wednesday to mark the Jubilee. The Pope invited everyone to pray the entire month of June and to support with closeness and affection their priests so that they always reflect the image of the Sacred Heart full of merciful love.
0: During his general audience on Wednesday, Pope Francis met with Veronica Cantero Burone, a young Argentinian author who turns 14 years old on Friday. She was just awarded the Elsa Morante Prize in children's literature for her book The Shadow Thief. Veronica was a triplet and the birth caused a neurological damage which has affected her motor skills, but that has not kept her from writing and publishing books since she was eight years old. The bishops of the ecclesiastical province of Bukavu in the Democratic Republic of Congo have urged President Joseph Kabila to come clean and resolve the political impasse in the electoral process of the country. SECAM Communications Officer Benedicta Soro has more.
5: About 50 people have been killed, uh, were killed in the last week of uh, last month, and uh, that is mostly in the northern part of uh, Kivu. And uh, it is alleged that this has been carried out by Allied Democratic Forces, uh, a group uh, which the people associate with, uh, with uh, the government, whereas, they, of course, they don't have the, the facts, but they fully, it's solely an allegation. So the Peace Network of Congo, which is a, a study group comprising uh, the Catholic Church and other religious groups, are calling for uh, what you call a, an, an international body to investigate and identify the perpetrators of these heinous uh, acts. So the, the group is also asking for uh, the politicians and the economic uh, uh, gurus to come together to work for the interests of the country because they feel that there are a lot of resources in the natural resources, human natural resources, which the, uh, the the country can benefit from if they are well harnessed. Because they, they have allowed the ethnicity and the partisan politics to. Uh, destroy the country and they feel that if they work together as a, as a continent, or as a country, sorry, they will be able to uh, explore the resources for the benefit of the people of uh, DRC.
0: Mayors from major African cities are currently gathering in Tswane for the second annual African Capital Sustainability Forum. The forum is a gathering to share ideas and talk about sustainability and how citizens can be better empowered and lives improved in order to contribute to building cities. Executive Mayor of Tswane, Mr Ramohopa, says cities are engines for growth and epicenters for development.
1: There's a very rich body of literature that suggests that the cities are engines for growth, uh, epicenters for development, and in fact they're beginning to surpass nation sovereign state in terms of their contributions to the growth of the economy. And in fact these are highly contested uh, spaces, uh, spaces of opportunity and privilege. And as a result they serve as uh, they've got a magnetic effect that the people from the rural hinterland come to these urban spaces seeking for opportunity and uh, exploiting these uh, uh, privileges. Uh, and that brings about uh, its own, its, uh, the downside, and the downside is that uh, as a result of uh, rapid uh, urbanization, the nature and the structure of, uh, of these city spaces are not designed. Uh, to accommodate uh, to the desired levels uh, the amount of people who come into these urban spaces. And that results in uh, urban poverty, it results in decay. And the most palpable manifestation of uh, these problems is uh, the extent of uh, the growth in informality, the Mm -hmm. informal settlements. So we felt that it is important that uh, we have this conversation as uh, African uh, cities.
0: Meanwhile, the mayor of Monrovia City in Liberia, Clara Vongo, says the major problem with urbanization is that it creates
6: overcrowding. The most recent experience we had with Ebola, uh, I think Ebola brought to the forefront that we had some challenges in our healthcare delivery. And it also brought to the forefront the fact that the informal settlements were really being um, not prepared to even take care of the emergency that came out of Ebola. You add that to the fact that before Ebola, we had a serious migration of people from the rural to the urban setting because of the post-war situation now look at the current downturn in the economy Liberia depends on the exportation of rubber iron ore timber and those commodity prices have dropped so when you look at us being able to handle the challenges that coming from post ebola post war a large migration to the city we really have our hands full in a city like Monrovia
0: Finally... President Jacob Zuma led the national celebrations of the International Children's Day in Utrechtville, west of Pretoria. The day is observed annually on June 1st around the world to honour children's rights, and it also coincides with the Child Protection Week campaign, which was launched this past weekend in the northwest province. The day also seeks to raise awareness and assist parents, child caregivers, guardians and the entire society to be vigilant and partner with government in protecting and creating a safe as well as secure environment for children. Meanwhile, U.S. singer-songwriter Katy Perry says that disadvantaged Vietnamese children deserve the right to see their incredible dreams for the future become a reality. The international star and UN Children's Fund UNICEF Goodwill Ambassador was speaking after visiting one of the poorest and remote regions of the Southeast Asian country. Matthew Wells has more.
2: Katie Perry visited rural Ninh Thuan province in late May and called for an increased international focus on the children being left behind in one of Asia's fastest growing economies. She saw for herself some of the work being done through UNICEF programmes aimed at ending exclusion for children with disabilities and improving water, sanitation, and hygiene. She said it was heartbreaking to meet a grandmother who'd been left to care for four grandchildren after her daughter died. It was only thanks to a UNICEF-trained outreach worker, said the staff from the United States, that one of the grandchildren, a five-year-old called Lin, had recovered from severe malnutrition. Another focus of her visit was to meet children from ethnic minorities, which account for around 15% of the country's population. Those who don't speak Vietnamese as their first language had faced exclusion and limited opportunities. But UNICEF is now working with the government, said Ms Perry to help break down barriers.
0: And that was a look at some of the stories that made headlines in Africa and beyond today. You're still listening to the Catholic View and I'm Sheila Pierce. Thank you so much for being here with me. Coming up next we bring you our health feature. <laughs> This evening we focus on the latest global AIDS update. We also take a look at a new drug called Purple Drink circulating in Cape Town. And we talk about raising children with disabilities. <music> Cerebral palsy is considered a neurological disorder caused by a non-progressive brain injury or malformation that occurs while the child's brain is under development. Cerebral palsy primarily affects body movement and muscle coordination. Though cerebral palsy can be defined, having cerebral palsy does not define the person that has the condition. While cerebral palsy is a blanket term commonly referred to as CP and described by loss or impairment of mortal function, CP is actually caused by brain damage. The brain damage is caused by brain injury or abnormal development of the brain that occurs while a child's brain is still developing, that is, before birth, during birth or immediately after birth. CP affects body movement, muscle control, muscle coordination, muscle tone, reflex, posture and balance. It can also impact fine motor skills, gross motor skills and oral motor functioning. Mr. Sehobe Dixon-Mofokeng works for the Chancery at the Archdiocese of Johannesburg. He spoke to me about raising Neo, who was diagnosed with CP at the age of six months. (music) All right. Now, talk to us about raising Aneo. Um You said she was diagnosed at the age of six months. What was it like raising her and uh, looking after her? Uh, it was, at,
4: at the beginning, it was a bit challenging when she was growing up because, you know, now she couldn't walk. She couldn't even crawl. Um, it was very difficult at the beginning, but now um, she's getting old. It's a challenging because she's getting heavier and she's growing up. But we are used to that by now.
0: And what was education like in terms of school? Did Neo go to school, and was she able to get any um, sort of education?
4: Yes, she did go to Havikohen. It's a a special school in Paragwanath Hospital. But she only went there for three years. Um, Then then they had a problem with their transport, something like that. Then she couldn't go any further.
0: She cannot
4: even talk, you know, that's. other things.
0: Now as a parent, in this case you are NEO's uncle, what do you think needs to be done for children uh, such as NEO, children with NEO's condition? What do you think the government, the health facilities, the health ministries should be doing to improve their lives?
4: I think uh, they should uh, give them a special attention because they really do need a special attention. I think the government should really look into that because as for NEO, she cannot write. She cannot speak. I mean, she needs 100% attention. Even when she she cannot even say she wants to go to the loo or something, she just you know do it for herself. So I think um, if they can look at that, she needs a really special attention. They too really need a special attention.
0: Now raising nails. Maybe nail. can build schools,
4: yeah. you know, special schools, and then people should have patience for that. You know, not just they don't they don't have to work for the sake of money, they have to have love for that, passion for that.
0: Now, um, raising Neo from the age of six months, that was when Neo was diagnosed with CP, what was it like to, you know, like you said, she cannot talk, she cannot um, move, um, she cannot express when she needs to ease herself, for example, how was it for you as a family looking after her? Did anyone come to give you some special aid, some special teachings on how to look after such a child, how to deal with uh, with the problems or the challenges that you may come across, or did you learn this on your own?
4: No, with her mom working at a uh, uh, physiotherapy, she she has an experience of that, you know, she has a knowledge of that. So she's the one who guided us, uh, okay, how to handle such situation
0: so does Neo ever get out of home? Does she ever go besides the fact that she went to school at, at Baraguanath hospital for about two two years like you mentioned? does she ever go to church? Does she ever go to the park to any other places does does she practice you, you know your normal ordinary things that other other children do or other uh, young people her age do?
4: Yes, she does go to church every Sunday, and she does also get a special treatment at church, especially on the communion. You know, the priest will come. She'll be the one. She'll be the first one to receive the holy communion. The priest will be so uh, patient to her. She'll go. He will go to her and then give the holy communion. She does go out to the shops, to the malls. We do take her out so that she can see the environment outside
0: and now she's 32 years old nayo is 32 years old today and thanks to your family to your love and to your to your care as well as to you know for your patience for looking after her talk to us about some of the challenges that you have encountered over the years taking care of Neo, as to to see that she's now 32 years old it's great to know that she's living uh, you know a, a full life that no one has given up on her talk to us about some of the challenges that maybe you have come across and how do you overcome them
4: okay i can see the challenges that we have especially when when you take her out you know because um for instance my mom is old now and her mom is also getting old, so we, with no one at home, we have to hire someone, you know, to to look uh, to take care of her during the day when we are not, when we are not there. And the other challenge is when we're going out, you know, to lift her because she's heavy now to lift her to put in the car and to also to lift her take it out to, to the wheelchair. You know, those are some challenges that we face
0: for children such as Nayo, what do you think would help them to have a better life and to have uh, easier um, access to go wherever they want to? Like you're saying, it's, in your case, it's a difficult situation, especially now as she's growing older and she's becoming more heavy and you now find yourselves having to hire somebody to look after her. What would you say to government right now or to social workers right now when it comes to raising a child or a person Person with disabilities?
4: Okay, I can say um, so far I think the government is doing good because, especially when it comes to transport like Reavaya, there is a special uh, um, space there for people with wheelchairs and then it can lift you from outside to inside. So I can say that at least um, the government is doing something, at least they consider the people, the disability people, with that. But for social workers, maybe they should. like visit the children often more often, because in my situation um it's been a a while since I've seen a social worker coming there or asking something anything about neo.
0: And what about the church? You said the priest in your parish is quite um, sympathetic towards Neo, and he's very patient as well to the fact that he comes to her, gives her communion. She's the first in line for communion. But what about the facilities around the church? Do you think the church could do more to accommodate people with disabilities?
4: I think the church should just have an understanding because, you know, sometimes these kids... Um, they just scream they just cry with no reason in church and then some other people just look at you like ah, did the child keep the child quiet you know something like that if people can just have understanding that we have um it's a situation and we cannot keep them at home because they, they do have to go to church as well
0: so do you feel that perhaps more needs to be done on a church level like maybe have more talks about people with disability how to look after them, how to treat them and how to approach them in public spa- spaces such as the church.
4: Yes, I think that should be done in churches to, to educate people about uh, the people uh, the, the, the kids with um, disability.
0: Alright, Dixon, anything else you'd like to add before I let you go? Okay, I'll just want to thank the
4: time that you gave for me to, to express uh, about my needs And I also want to thank Mepefa Mutawu, she's her complete companion. She takes very good care of Neo. She makes sure that even when Neo doesn't come to church, she'll come to your home and ask why didn't she come to church. She's from Good Shepherd. And also a special thanks to Sister TM who made this possible. I must say Sister TM did a great job um, because she's doing a very difficult uh, job and she's doing a good job. She's doing a really good job. Her job is very challenging. And may the Lord bless her and give her strength.
0: And may the Lord bless you and your family and keep giving you the strength you need to take good care of NEO. Hope to be talking to you in the near future and uh, hearing more about NEO. Thank you very much. I'd like to thank Mr. Sihobe Dixon-Mofokeng for talking to us about raising his niece, who's now 32 years old, Neo, a child who was diagnosed with cerebral palsy at the age of six months. And today, Neo is 32 years old and still growing. The Central Alcohol and Drug Center says over-the-counter medication abuse is fast becoming one of the most prevalent problems in South Africa. A new drug trend called SISOP, or Purple Drink, is making the rounds in schools in Cape Town's southern suburbs. Parents are warned to take note of the homemade drug, which is a mix of codeine-based prescription, cough syrup and cold drinks. It produces a feeling of euphoria. The center's Roger Wyman says codeine is the most abused over-the-counter medication in the country. He says the World Health Organisation lists South Africa as the top 50 countries abusing codeine in the world.
7: Now, one of the the main problems is that when people think about substance abuse, they immediately think about the illicit drugs and often neglect the drugs that are commonly sold as over-the-counter medication. Over-the-counter medication is fast becoming one of the most prevalent um, addiction problems in South Africa as they are very um, easily available, they're relatively cheap, and often parents don't even realize that the medication might be, taken from their drug cabinet at home. So it's it really is becoming an issue throughout South Africa, not just within Cape Town. Unfortunately, there's no way to control the, the quantities that are sold or bought by a single person. However, the Pharmacy Society of South Africa and the community pharmacy, pharmacy sector of South Africa in 2014 launched the Codeine Care Initiative, which aims to limit and control access to uh, codeine-containing medications. And they do this by linking pharmacies and um, creating a history of codeine purchases per patient. What this is hopefully going to achieve is that it, as I say, it will control the amount of codeine bought, but as yet, it's it's still in its infancy. So, you know, codeine, unfortunately, is the most abused over-the-counter medication within South Africa.
0: There has been an extraordinary scale-up in the number of people living with HIV who are now accessing life-saving medicines. That's according to the latest Global AIDS Update, which estimates that 17 million people were receiving antiretroviral treatment at the end of 2015, up from 7.5 million in 2010. The report was launched on Tuesday in Nairobi, Kenya, and comes ahead of a UN General Assembly meeting on ending AIDS taking place next week in New York. Dean Penn spoke to Dr. Alasdair Reid of UN AIDS, who explains what is behind these gains.
8: We're seeing incredible progress. From the countries that are hardest hit by the HIV epidemic, political commitment, investment of resources, new policies, better treatment are all combining to result in this fast track approach to scaling up access to HIV treatment.
6: You're speaking to us from Nairobi and Kenya is among those countries that have been showing the most progress. Talk to us about what Kenya has done.
8: Well, Kenya now has over 900,000 people on life-saving HIV treatment. They are second only to South Africa in being the largest treatment program in the world. They have really turned around the response to the epidemic that has come, as I said before, from the highest level of political commitment right down to the grassroots level where communities are supporting people living with HIV to take their treatment regularly and to make sure that they are virally suppressed. That means that the virus is undetectable in their body, and therefore it means they will live a, a, a normal, healthy life. And as importantly, they will reduce their risk of transmitting the infection onto their partners or for pregnant women onto their baby.
6: And now, of course, we have these enormous gains that have been made, but there are still huge gaps that persist, according to the report. And earlier, you mentioned fast track. Talk to us a bit about that and how that will help to sort of bridge these gaps.
8: The fast track approach aims at front-loading investment. We need to increase money now in the age response. If we do that, we can get countries onto the fast track and that means that we have a chance to end the AIDS epidemic as a public health threat by 2030. The fast track approach means we need to achieve the 1990 90, 90, targets for treatment. That means 90% of people living with HIV know their HIV positive status. 90% of people who need it are on HIV treatment, and 90% of those who are on treatment are virally suppressed. That means no virus detectable in their body. On top of that, we also need to make sure that we scale up prevention. Treatment does have an impact on prevention but we also need to make sure that young women and girls are empowered to protect themselves against HIV. That means being able to make the right choices about their sexual health and reproductive health. We need to make sure that we reach the people who are most at risk of infection. That means young women and adolescent girls, men who have sex with men, people who use drugs and sex workers. These are difficult populations to reach and often challenging for many governments to address, But Unless we do that, the report is showing that we will be leaving people behind by this epidemic. And as a person living with HIV, a young woman uh, of 19 years old, Joyce, at the report launch said, stigma is the biggest killer of people living with HIV. We need to address stigma and discrimination across the board to make sure that everyone has fair access to treatment and prevention services.
0: That brings me up to time. You've been listening to The Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Shayla Pierce for Radio Veritas. Should you wish to get in touch with me, simply send me an email, shayla at RadioVeritas.co.ca. Until tomorrow, at the same time, thank you so much for listening. God bless you and ciao, ciao.